You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coaches, welcome to this episode, five tips for your modeling career. I am so excited to share this with you um, because previously I shared my own modeling horror story a few episodes back and I won't go into the details because it's too horrific to talk about more than once. You can listen to that episode if you would like about the coaching cycle, which was two episodes ago, episode three. Um, But let's just say I'm pretty sure I left some learning on the table and I did a great job of building absolutely zero relationship with the teacher I was working with. That did improve over time. I don't want you to feel like that's the way things ended with that teacher. Um, But, you know, that really sucks because that was my job (laughs) was to build a relationship and was to provide support in that classroom. And I failed to do it. So, um Listen to that episode if you want to hear a really awful horror story that will keep you up at night as a coach. Um, But anyway, in the meantime, let's learn five tips about your modeling career. So this episode is part of a series on different kinds of high impact support you can provide to teachers and modeling is an excellent way to support your teachers. It could be part of your coaching cycle, as I mentioned in episode three. Or you can use it as a standalone. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what that could look like um, in a different sort of approach a little bit later in this episode. So I want your modeling career to be more successful than my first pathetic attempt was. I'm going to share five strategies that will help you feel like a pro when you are modeling. Okay, so step one is establish a plan your teacher understands. And that sounds like a common sense tip, right? But it's not because we don't all do it. We either expect that the teacher has some background knowledge that they don't have, or we're initiating something new and kind of expect that they have experience with that. Um, Or like in my modeling horror story, uh, you just kind of avoid it because a teacher is stressing you out. And that's the truth. It's happened to me. If it's happening to you, know that you're not alone, but we've got to get beyond that hurdle. Um, Also, by the way, I am really trying hard to pronounce the word horror with two syllables, but it is very difficult for me to do, apparently, and I've never noticed that before. I want you to know this is a PG podcast. I am trying to give that word two syllables, but I'm afraid that it sounds like I'm not. So (laughs) I am saying horror as in, you know, like The Shining. Anyway, um, in my modeling horror story, I did not do a good job of planning with a teacher or establishing a good model of planning. So that's my tip for you too. Um, plan together or model the planning process. Either way, that teacher needs to be present. So I have a really great story for you about how effective modeling can be if you do a great job of planning together. So this is the most effective thing I've done to initiate Um, guided reading on a campus. I had worked with this campus for a couple months already on getting guided reading going. And I mean, it just wasn't happening. You know, you know what that's like. I did a workshop. I had made a video of myself giving a guided reading lesson to a small group of students and I chunked it and I broke it down and I narrated it and we watched the video and we paused it and we had conversations and then we had some guided planning. I did classroom visits nothing guys, nothing. And I was so frustrated because I was like, why is guided reading being so complicated right now? Well, 
it was a new practice. It was new to the teachers. The teachers were not convinced that it was going to be effective because they felt like they were babying kids by reading at their instructional level. And this is, of course, when I say the teachers, um, that's a generalization. All teachers were not in this camp, but there were many who were. They, some teachers wanted to do whole group and more intervention style lessons for small group rather than really targeting kids developmental level, I'm sorry, instructional level and working at what they needed to work on individually. Um, And I had already modeled the whole planning process. I had done all these things, whole group. But what really worked was whenever we set aside one PE time, which was 45 minutes, I collected data from one teacher and I asked if we could borrow four of her students. So I had the whole grade level sit in my room, in my coaching planning room, and I had my table set up for guided reading, but I didn't just model the lesson. First, we took about 15 to 20 minutes and we sat together and planned the lesson from start to finish. I pulled out a book. Every teacher had a copy of the book. I pulled out the kids data and I modeled how to select something to focus on based on what I was seeing. And then I walked them through the, the planning process. I did the thinking aloud and they asked questions when they, when they had one and I created a little plan. Um, then, and they all had that plan as well because they had the blank planning organizer. They filled it in as they went along. So everybody had a copy of the plan. I called the kids in. I modeled the lesson in 20 minutes. So then we had like 15 minutes for planning, 20 minutes for modeling the lesson, right? So like 35 minutes. Our PE time was 45 minutes. So as soon as I went through modeling that whole lesson, sent the kids back out during to to participate in PE again, um, we had an immediate debrief. It was short. It was maybe seven minutes, but they had the opportunity to provide feedback, to ask questions and to notice, oh, it did only take you 15 to 20 minutes like you said it would um, when they really didn't believe me that the lesson could move that quickly. So it, I saw an immediate improvement in guided reading in classrooms, four out of six classrooms began to initiate guided reading after that, that um, very tiny opportunity for learning that they had. It was life changing in that class, those classrooms. There were still a couple of holdouts. Um, You're going to have your holdouts and that's where individualized coaching support comes in. But this group session made a huge difference. So I totally recommend that approach. If you're having trouble with teachers uh, getting buy-in in a certain initiative, they may need to see you do the thinking from start to finish so they can see what it looks like whenever they actually use it with their own children. So that's tip number one, establish a plan your teacher understands. Tip number two is start with a small chunk of learning. So some teachers are going to ask for a whole block. They might want to, they might want to see all of the writing block. I need to see you do a quick write. I need to see you do a mini, mini lesson. I want to see you use a mentor text. I want to see you do conventions and writing groups and everything. And that's great because that means they want to see how things can look. But it's not a great place to start. There are a few reasons for this. For one, If you have not worked in that classroom a lot, you are going to be overwhelmed with learning the kids and getting through a massive chunk of time whenever you're trying to be a model of learning and you're not even sure where the kids are. That's not a great way to approach modeling. Another reason that it's a problem is that you're going to be the sage on the stage. And if you haven't heard that term before, um, basically you're standing up there saying, this is what is the right way. Look at me doing everything right. And we want to avoid that. As coaches, we don't want to say we're doing everything right and you don't know anything. That's not what a coach does. A coach sees where teachers can grow and provides the support to help them grow. So we want to avoid anything that says we're right and you don't know. Um, 
Also, it's best for new practices. So something that's new to the teacher, if you're trying to do too much at once, it's going to be overwhelming to the teacher because they're going to say, oh my gosh, I I realize now this is completely new to me. So I'm going to start doing things in a totally different way, but I'm overwhelmed with the amount of information that I just saw. They're not going to walk away with everything that you're sharing with them because it's just too much. So say that you will get to doing the whole block of instruction, either as a modeled or a co-taught lesson at some point, but you're going to start with something small first to get to know the classroom and the expectations and things like that. Choose one component. So if the teacher wants to see the whole writing block, say, you know what? I will model a writing conference for you. Or I will model a writing mini lesson for you. Or I will model how to use a mentor text. You're going to choose one piece. You're going to plan together, model the lesson. And then during the debrief, if the teacher wants to continue by seeing the whole block, you can work your way towards that during a coaching cycle. So you can say, okay, what are our next steps? Um, we can start adding in other components if you want to see them. Ideally, you don't want to get stuck modeling a whole process for a week or two weeks anyway with no coaching, uh, with no co-teaching. You want to integrate that teacher as quickly as possible because they have knowledge, they have background, they have experience. So what you can do is say, okay, I modeled this lesson today and I will model it again tomorrow or the next day. I want you to take it over after that and then I'm going to add another component. So we're gonna do the mini lesson for a couple of days. I'm gonna model that. You're gonna handle the mini lesson and then I'm gonna model what a writing conference could look like during independent writing. So you're starting to integrate the teacher a little more, then you hand that off and you can model something else. And that way over time, they can develop their skills in an area they are uncomfortable with, but you're not just dumping tons of new stuff on them all at once to where they say, oh, I could never do that. Third tip, take your own stuff. Okay. <laughs> this sounds ridiculous. It's a logistical tip. Okay. I have been in classrooms where I'm in the middle of doing a lesson and I shared the lesson plan with the teacher in advance. And I say, okay, so for this, I need you to take out a red colored pencil. And the kids are like, staring at me like deer in headlights. And then I look across the room at the teacher and I say, do they have colored pencils? And then the teacher goes, oh yes, they have them in their boxes. And I say, okay, where are their boxes? And she points at the, the cubbies in the back of the room. And then slowly all the kids like creepy zombies get up and start walking towards the, the cubbies. And then it's like this mass movement of children. And the whole lesson is just like... <laughs> It's just a mess because I'm like, wait, 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 no, 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 you don't just need the red colored pencil. You're going to need the orange and the yellow one, too. And it's just really confusing and stressful. And it's a really dumb reason to have a problem during a lesson that they don't have what they need. So prepare for that. Instead, say, OK, this is what materials your kids are going to need during the lesson. This is what I'm going to need during the lesson. What do you have at your students' desks that they can readily get to? What do I need to bring? Prepare for that in advance. Save yourself the trouble and you won't have like this whole mass movement of everybody trying to figure out where their scissors are and all you needed them to do was cut out a foldable. Okay. Um, step four, during the lesson, introduce behavior expectations to those kids. Okay. Especially if you've never worked with them before. If your teacher that you're working with has a really strong behavior plan set up, Great, go for it. Just use that. You don't need to introduce anything new. But if they don't, and that happens, then you're going to be putting out a lot of fires during the lesson and you're not going to accomplish what your actual goal was. So I usually set up a really simple 
behavior plan with kids and say, this is the expectation for Ms. Beltran. And if the teacher chose to take off with it after that, and oftentimes they did because they didn't have something in place, great, good for me, because then next time I come in, I know what the expectations are. And so did the kids. So here are, um, here's how I rolled that out with students. And it didn't take longer than maybe 10, 15 minutes, but it was time well spent because you know what it's like if you've been in a classroom where there's no expectation and you're trying to model a lesson on like grammar and you're like, what, who's, <laughs> what is even happening right now? This is such a joke. So here we go. This is how I did it. I introduced three basic behavior expectations and I chose them very carefully. This is how it came about. One year I was responsible for providing intervention in reading with fifth grade after testing. This was my first year of coaching on this campus. And the group of kids were all kids who had not passed the first round of the state assessment. Okay. So already they felt like crap. I mean, sorry, I know that maybe I'm not supposed to say crap, but it's my podcast. So crap is an allowable term on this podcast because that's how those kids felt. We've all felt like that, right? It's a horrible feeling. Um, they felt like failures. <clears throat> they had really struggled. Some of them had really tried and they hadn't passed and they felt awful. So I was concerned because they were, you know, obviously they had a lot of emotional feelings about, about how they had done on this test, whether they had tried or not. And they also had different behavioral expectations in the classroom, by which I mean, some of them didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really worried about how this was going to pan out because I was going to have the kids from each classroom who tended to be the most disruptive in those classrooms. And I was like, all right, this is not, we're not going to play like that. We have got to figure something out from day one. So I knew many kids struggled with, with um, you know, attitude issues. And I'm not placing blame here. I'm saying I know that they did not have a positive attitude about school. Um for whatever, for lots of different reasons, you know, I know that they um, didn't have a positive attitude about learning or about their ability to do that. And that was really sad. Um, they were not engaged in learning. Many of them were passive. Things were just happening and they just kind of waited for the school day to be over. And some of them were blurting a lot. There were a lot of things coming out of mouths that really didn't have anything to do with what we were doing. And some of them were not very nice things. So I was like, okay, we got to We got to attack this head on. I need a game plan. So I came up with three expectations that were essential to address what I was seeing happen in those classrooms with these specific group of kids. Number one was have a positive attitude. Number two was be engaged in your own learning. And number three was control your comments. I wanted to frame them positively and not negatively. I didn't want to say don't blurt comments out because they've been told that for years and it didn't do any good. Right. I didn't want to say, um, you know, things like they were very task oriented, like, um, like spent a lot of time wasting talking about, you know, putting names on papers and procedures and things. Those to me were not behavioral expectations. My goal was that they were going to have their bodies and brains engaged in what we were doing. So they were going to see an improvement. So the thing is, though, you can't just tell kids have a positive attitude, be engaged in your own learning, because they don't know what that looks like. If they could do it, they would. That's my motto in teaching. If they could already do it, they would be doing it. So just like as a coach in the classroom, if the teacher could already do it, they'd probably already be doing it. Your job is to help them do things that are really hard for them to do sometimes. So for the kids, I wanted to model and practice what each of those looked like, because I don't think it's okay to expect kids to do things that we haven't shown them what they look like. So 
whenever the first day when I was meeting with the kids, I modeled, we, we built a little chart. It said step one, two, three, have a positive attitude, be engaged in your own learning, control your comments. And each group of kids was placed in a team and those were color coded. I know this is all a lot of detail, more than you would probably do if you were modeling in one classroom, but I just kind of wanted you to get the big picture because this might be relevant to where you're going to be soon. So after we initiated that conversation about what each of those expectations look like, and I explained it in kid-friendly language, and we brainstormed what it could look like, and we even acted it out with our bodies, and we add little pictures on the chart to show what it would look like, then I wanted my group, each group, to select a goal to work on. Knowing you and yourself as a learner, which is the one that you're going to focus on for today? Each group would choose one. They would write it on a little index card and set it on the edge of their table so I knew what they were working on. On the bottom of the chart, I added the number of groups, group one, two, three, four, five, or I think it was like red, blue, green, yellow, purple, whatever. And then every time I saw them doing one of those things, I would praise it and I would add a point. And we do a little cheer. I don't remember. I think we did um, like a cheer where we, like a we will rock you cheer where we like banged our hands on the table twice, like boom, boom, ching, and we clapped and they loved it. And did the points earn them anything? No, no, they did not. But they didn't need anything. They needed to know when they were doing what I was asking them to do and when they were doing something that was going to help them grow as a learner. So that was what I did with that really challenging group of kids to make sure they all knew what the expectation was and what was going to help them grow as a learner during that that two-week time frame that I had them. So when you're going into a classroom to model something, if there's no plan in place, choose something simple, keep it focused, make sure kids know what the expectation is. And if teachers want to use it when you're gone, good for them. You've given them another tool. Tip number five, during the lesson, think aloud. Okay, this is something I should have done more. We always know, we all know that thinking aloud is important for students, right? We model our thinking and we show them how we arrive at specific answers and we wouldn't expect them to figure things out that we couldn't show them. But with teachers, we do it all the time. We expect that they understand why we do what we do. The problem with teaching is that the thought process is invisible. You scan the classroom with your eyes and you make a decision. You scan some responses and you make a decision. You observe students' body language and you make a decision. How did you know to do that? If the teacher is looking at you and cannot figure out how you knew to do what you're doing, they're not going to be able to replicate that. So basically what you're doing is some metacognitive talk. You're being aware of your own thinking and you're modeling that thinking for the teacher so the teacher can do that whenever you're not around. That's a real way to grow teachers, right? It's not just about the things that we get through and the materials that we use. It's about how we know to do what we're doing. So teachers would sometimes ask questions like, how did you decide to blah, blah, blah? How long should I do this for? When do I move on to the next thing? How do you know if kids are getting it? All those are questions where they're saying, how, what's happening in your brain as you're making these teaching decisions? They're totally valid questions, right? How often do we get to hear those questions, those answers from people? So thinking aloud gives them the opportunity to see what's happening in your brain. This actually comes from the Diane Sweeney book, Student-Centered Coaching, The Moves. And I really recommend it because it is, it's a game changer. So an easy thing to do is to say, I see blank, so I'm going to blank. And you can add a because if you really want to be thorough. So I see that the majority of students 
are struggling with this problem when I walk around and scan their papers. So I'm going to choose a problem like that one to model because I think they are struggling with that process. I see that the majority of students are giving the same kind of response to this question in our read aloud. So I am going to model that they can do a different kind of response using a different sentence starter because I think that will extend their thinking. I think they're getting stuck. Okay, you want to spell it out and it's good for your teaching and coaching too, because when we can explain why we do what we do, we really know it. So those are five tips for you to use to be a modeling pro and really expand your modeling career. I'm going to summarize these five tips just so you remember them. Number one is establish a plan your teacher understands. You can plan together or you can model the planning process. Number two, start with a small chunk of learning rather than a whole block of learning. Number three, take your own stuff or have a conversation about where things are and what kids will need handy prior to your modeled lesson. Number four, during the lesson, introduce basic behavior expectations if there is nothing in place or become familiar with the teacher's classroom management plan. And number five, during the lesson, think aloud for the teacher so the teacher can understand why you're doing what you're doing. These tips really are high impact tips for making your, your coaching modeling sessions effective. So your next steps are to identify a teacher or a group of teachers like in the uh, guided reading example that I gave who would benefit from modeling support and put together a plan to support him or her with modeling because modeling a short chunk of learning can have an impact on times of the day that you're not even there. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I really hope that you tune into the next episode because that is about high impact coaching, teaching with a partner. Co-teaching is stressful and scary, but there are some things that you can do to make it very successful and really to make it one of the most effective ways that you can change a teacher's teaching and learning in that classroom. So definitely tune into that episode and uh, check the show notes for links to a free resource that will help you uh, prepare for modeling. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.